0: Bibles tonight to the book of 2nd Kings chapter 3, 2 Kings chapter 3, in case you're not uh, up to date on what we've been doing on Sunday evening, we've been involved in a series entitled The Lord God of Elijah, and uh, actually we're covering the ministry of Elijah and Elisha But the focus isn't on Elijah and Elisha, it's on the Lord God of Elijah. And that was a phrase that uh, you'll remember whenever uh, Elijah passed off the scene, and Elijah stepped onto the scene and began his ministry. They asked the question, where is the Lord God of Elijah? That phrase is always... uh, made an impression upon my heart because we live in a day where it seems like that God has shrunk in the minds of modern man. Oh, man. We put limitations on God, it seems like, that, uh, and imagine that we have problems that He can't or He won't solve. And so that's the purpose for this series, is to give us uh, a reminder of how great God is. I was sitting there thinking about... What I said this morning about the title of the message I was going to preach tonight on Digging Ditches. And as I was sitting there thinking about it, I, I thought, you know, I, I really, I wish over the years I'd kept a little notebook on all of the silly sermon titles that I've heard. And believe me, I've heard some, I've heard some really silly ones because, you know, we we preachers got this thing, you know, we want people to remember what we say naturally uh, but sometimes you know we I think go to the extreme and and i I remember years ago a certain group of preachers that uh, I was around for a little while and it, you could almost tell every preacher was trying to outdo the other preacher when it came to the silly sermon titles that uh, that they were using and uh, then it got into this thing of, of types now don't misunderstand there are types in the Bible. Uh, the tabernacle is a type, and uh, there are many different types in the Bible. But we've got to be really careful that we don't start making shadows and types out of something that was never intended. You know, that's kind of like, uh, kind of like taking a parable, for example, and trying to exaggerate it uh, and, and give it seven or eight different meanings whenever in reality uh, it has only one. And so I'm saying all that to say I understand that it doesn't sound like a very serious or spiritual title for a sermon when I say that I'm going to preach about digging ditches. But, well, you might be surprised because there's more to it than you might think. Uh, You think about digging ditches, it not only doesn't sound very exciting, it, it sounds like a lot of hard work and I was a boy I don't know I must have been 10 or 11 years old and we had a neighbor about three houses down and in those days a, a lot of them would uh, landscape and have a little berm on each side of their of their porch which was in that neighborhood very small and it was uh, all two and a half three foot deep and run from the end of the porch over to the house and uh, he he wanted to level all of that with the yard and wanted to hire me. said he'd give me 50 cents to do that. Now, that's a lot, a lot of money for a kid back then. I said, sure, no problem. I didn't realize how much dirt there was, you know, in an area like that. And uh, I, I have to admit, I quit before I... Uh, so I, I never did get paid because I quit on the job, but I... I figured that was a more reasonable thing to do than to spend my days out there digging when it didn't make a lot of sense. Well, so let me introduce the sermon like this. We are never without a need of God. That ties in, actually, to what I was talking about this morning. And, you know, the first thing that we need to do, regardless of the circumstances in our life, is to admit that we don't have the answer or we don't have the ability uh, to deal with the issues in our life. We need God. We need God not only, you know, to fill our lungs with air and to fill our veins with blood. We need God for every situation in life. But the problem is, a lot of times we expect God to supply our needs without any effort on our part whatsoever. Now, I understand that occasionally God, you know, does that. He certainly is a gracious God. He gives us that which we don't deserve. I understand that. But for the most part, God expects us to exert some effort into what we receive. It's kind of like the old saying, God feeds the sparrow, but he doesn't throw the worm in the nest. And a lot of people need to, to think about that. He expects us to do something well. Here in this chapter, uh, and I'm not going to read the first eight verses. We'll we'll go back and read a couple of them later. But you know, most problems start with some provocation. Uh, you know, there's something that precipitates the the situation that, that creates a problem for us. And in these first eight verses here, we find. The children of Israel, uh, uh, I should say, not only Israel, because remember the kingdom is divided into the northern the northern half and the southern half. And so you have Judah and Israel, and all of a sudden they are met with opposition. Uh, David had conquered the Moabites years before. And the Moabites had become the servants to the Israelites, and they continued in that subjection up until the kingdom of Israel was divided. And at that point, you know, they they rebelled. Uh, the Moabites, of course, were the descendants of Lot, typical of a backslidden believer. More importantly, whenever you read the account of the Moabites, you learn that they were troublemakers. It's like they were a thorn in the side of Israel just about all of the time. So when we come to this chapter and these first eight verses here, we see they are in a state of rebellion. And in order to squash that rebellion, Jehoam, the king of Israel, enlists the help of Jehoshaphat, who was the king of Judah, and also the king of Edom. They got him in on this deal. So these three kings... And their armies are advancing upon the Moabites, but as they're doing so, there's a serious problem that developed. Now, you would think it couldn't get any more serious than, than war itself, but all of a sudden they find themselves in a the valley without any water. Now, if you're on the mountaintop and you don't have any water, you might expect that, you know? You don't expect there to be water there, but they're in a the valley, If there's going to be water anywhere, there's going to be water in the valley. So they're in the valley, and there's no water. So here they are under the provocation of war, and the problem is they don't have any water. Look at verse number 9, for example, and it speaks for itself. So the king of Israel went, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom, and they fetched a compass of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the host and for the cattle, that followed them. So here, here we have a drought. And whenever you look back at the first three verses, you'll see that their situation was connected to their sin against God. We see that over and over and over uh, in the history of Israel. It was Jeremiah that you know, said, Your sins have withholding good things from you. And so that's the case here. There's a drought that is brought on as a result of their sin against God. So many times we make the mistake of supposing that we can rebel against God. And by the way, most of the time whenever we think of that, we think of the sins of commission and we forget about all of the sins of omission, the things we shouldn't be doing that we're not doing. We kind of leave that off of the list. But whatever the case, we think that we can sin against God and, that, you know, there's not going to be any ill effects of that. But that's never the case. As I repeatedly say, God never allows us to sin successfully. We might think we are. We might think we're getting by with it because, you know, we've got it hidden from sight. Nobody knows about it, and uh, uh, but God knows about it and there's always consequences to it. So here they are, the drought has created a situation in a time of desperate need. They are without water and that puts them that puts them in great danger because the enemy is waiting like vultures. I mean, you can see the Moabites, you know, is there perhaps watching from the mountaintops or wherever they might be and they see the Israelites in this situation they know hey it's just a matter of time until they're weakened as a result of not having any water and we'll launch our attack and and defeat them so look at verse number 10 we see the result of this was great disappointment it says and the king of Israel said alas that the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. Now keep in mind, they've not inquired of the Lord whatsoever that I know of. I mean, I've read the account. They didn't say, Lord, uh, you know, the Moabites have rebelled against us. They're causing all kinds of trouble. Our kingdom is divided and... Everything's falling apart all around us. What should we do? They're not inquiring of the Lord at all. But the first thing they do when things go awry is what? Let's blame God. The Lord brought us together, you know, that uh, He might deliver us into the hand of the Moabites. And so many times... Whenever we, when we're disappointed, then we get discouraged, and that leads to despair, and that's where they're at. They, they're blaming God. They don't know what to do. Another reminder of the fact that without God, we never have, we never have the answers. Never. Again, I, and I know you probably get tired of hearing some of these verses, but as I said this morning, Jeremiah, when he said, the way of man is not in himself, is not a man that walketh to direct his steps. We are in desperate need of God and we have to learn to look outside of ourselves because it's not about our ability. Whenever Paul talked about God choosing the foolish things of the world, he said it was to confound the wise. And the bottom line is that God uses people that we would never suspect to do great things, because then all you can do is say, "Wow, look at what God did." Otherwise, you know we might say, Well well, it 's no wonder I, I heard about some, somebody today, uh, a situation somebody with a photographic memory. I, never forgets anything, and I mean, how do you do that? But let me tell you, regardless of what ability you have in and of yourselves, it's never enough without God. So here they are in despair. What are we going to do? Well, as you might guess, a prophet steps on the scene. And notice here in verse 11, let's read verse 11 on down through verse number 14. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not a prophet of the Lord that we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king and one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Here is Elisha. Well, who's he? Well, it says he's the son of Saphat, which notice poured water on the hands of Elijah. That's such an important statement there. So many people, you know, they want to they, they 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 want to lead, but they don't want to serve. They don't want to follow. And here we find Elisha in this key spot as a result of the fact of serving Elijah, following him wherever he went and serving him, reaching out and meeting his needs. So In their despair, they said, well, isn't there a prophet here? Somebody somebody can speak on behalf of God? Somebody that's got the answers? And so somebody says, well, yeah, Elisha is here. And Jehoshaphat, verse 12, said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. And Elisha said unto the king of Israel, what have I to do with thee? Pretty good question. I hadn't heard from you guys lately. You know, I hadn't heard a peep out of you. You know, you haven't inquired of the Lord about anything. Uh, what, what, what's the deal? What do you want? And he says, get thee to the prophets of thy fathers. That's those they'd been dependent upon. And to the prophets of thy mother. And the king of Israel said unto him, nay, for the Lord hath called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of, of Moab. And Elisha said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look toward thee, nor see thee. Uh, Now let me tell you, that is a much bolder statement than you might imagine. As, you know, kind of like saying to someone, if it wasn't for the fact that I liked, uh, let's say, a member of your family or something, I wouldn't even talk to you. I don't like you. I don't want anything to do with you. And, 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 and certainly this was all designed by Elisha for a reason. It was not, I don't believe it was due to any malice that was in his heart. But, but he's trying, as every preacher knows, trying to get the attention of people. And sometimes whether you're, you know, raising your voice, lowering your voice, using an illustration, or, or sometimes getting just real blunt about something, you, you have to do something to shock people, as it were, to get them to listen to what, to what you're saying. And so, uh, that certainly made an impact. Remember, he's talking to a king. And uh, it took a lot of boldness for him to do that. Well, here's the point. In the prophet, they found that the answer is in the Word of God. And you know, there's never any hope until we see our need to turn toward the Lord. And going back to Psalms 107, where I preached from this morning, there in verse number 20, there's a statement that says, He healed them by His Word, or with His Word. Think about that. And that's where we find the answer to all of our needs is in the Word of God. They, they would have never known what they ought to do had it not been for the fact that they inquired of the Lord and uh, the Lord gave them instructions. Notice what the plan is. Finally, in their despair with this great problem, they come to the prophet and here's the plan. Verse number 15, beginning there. And now bring me a minstrel that he, and it came to pass when the minstrel played, that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, Thus saith the Lord, Make this valley full of ditches. For thus saith the Lord, ye shall not see wind, neither shall ye see rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water that ye may drink both ye and your cattle and your beast. Now notice Elisha got the plan from God, but notice something that's more important than we might think. Before he did, we see that he prepared himself. He said, bring a minstrel. In other words, music. I don't think we have any idea what great power music has in our lives. It is so very powerful, and, and, and I know I, I, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm not all that interested in the music, just give me the preaching, and I've heard more people say, I'm not interested in the preaching, just give me the music. We can go to see either direction on that, but let me tell you, this, this probably seemed like a strange request to those thirsty soldiers I mean they're sitting there getting ready to go into battle and there's no water and they they are so thirsty and so they come to Elisha and he says yeah uh, he says I'll inquire the Lord I'll get the answer but but I need to hear some music (laughs) are you kidding me well that's part of the plan and, and that's that's worship, and I'll mention that again later, probably. But worship, as I often say, is the springboard—the springboard into our service. It it is the thing that motivates us, that propels us. I remember, you know, being in school, and most of you can remember maybe uh, having those springboards, and then you would have the that big horse thing there to where you would go off the springboard and hit that with your hands and do a flip over it. Well, you could never do that or certainly I couldn't do that without that springboard first. And so the same thing's true of worship to think that you can get by spiritually by ignoring worship. Just, no, I don't need the church. I I can just worship God at home. No, you really can't. Not the way you ought to because God requires Corporate worship that we assemble with His people. So here in this plan, we see that there's hard work involved for one thing. That is, He tells them to go dig ditches. Now, I don't imagine anybody's got any shovels with them, do you? That tells me that they have to turn their spears into spades and start digging with what implements they've got. They take the implements of war and begin to dig ditches. And that's hard work. I think that's what God expects out of us. If we want to see His blessings, there's no doubt about it. In fact, you know, the Bible says, If a man won't work, neither shall he eat. Work's important to God. But it also involved faith. Because remember, there's no evidence of rain Human reasoning would have said, that's the craziest idea I've ever seen. We're down here in the valley and there's no water whatsoever. And by exerting all of this energy, it's just going to make us more thirsty. It is going to create a greater need. But let me tell you, doing the will of God is always for the better, not for the worse. Regardless of what God had told them to done, that would have been the right thing to do. So whether they wanted to it, they could have said, I'm tired, I'm thirsty. And, and by the way, I spent all night sharpening my spear, getting ready for war. I'm not going to dull it out there digging a the ditch. Forget it. Well, it all depends on whether you want water or, you know, or brag about your sharp spear. So it involved obedience, did it not? Yeah. I mean, they, you know, they come to Elisha, they want the answer, God goes to, or Elisha goes to God, God gives him the answer, he relays that to them, so now they're on the spot. And if they want the blessing, they have to obey what God said. That's key, I think, you know, for any of us, uh, if we want to receive the blessings of the Lord. So many times we just want God to give us this and give us that. We treat God like he's Santa Claus. You know, we want it, we ought to have it. God says, no, I expect you to do something. You know, we we could say as a church, there's a thousand and one different applications we could make to that principle. But, you know, we could say to a church, man, I just wish we could fill this auditorium with people and, you know, and, and, and build more buildings and get more people and and that'd all be wonderful. Everybody here would vote for that. But it won't happen without our witness here in the community. It's not going to happen. God expects us to go. Go, He said, into all of the world. And that's, you know, that that's our act of obedience is going with the Gospel. But here we see that God expects us to prepare for the blessings that He wants to bring. God could have said, now look, fellas, I know you're thirsty, I've been watching you, I know your situation, and I really like you guys, I've got special plans for you. As you know, going all the way back to Abraham, he could have rehearsed all of that all over again. I'm going to use you to be a light to the Gentiles, I'm going to set you like a king sets her his his queen out there for all of the nations to adore and God could have done all of that but you guys are going to have to have an old fashioned all night prayer meeting now believe me all night prayer meeting doesn't hurt anything you can't pray too much but there're times there are times when you need to stop praying and start working or pray as you work And the Lord could have said, you know, all you got to do is pray. But He didn't. He said, no, start digging. You have to prepare for the blessing that I want to bring. And that brings us down to to the provision itself. Now, there's several things about the provision here that we see. and, And if you know the story, you know, and if you read on, it's very evident that God sent the water, verse number 20, and there came water. God sent the water just like He promised that He would. And not only that, the water extended even, even to others. But the arrival of the blessing was based upon earth being removed. And earth is the forsaking for us would be the forsaking of worldliness before we expect blessings from heaven you know we think about uh we think about the flesh the old the remnants if you're a christian even though you are a new creature and you have a new nature you still have the vestiges that's the leftovers of that old sinful nature that's why as long as you're here on this earth you're going to be tempted to sin and so, uh, as long as we're here, we're going to be troubled by this. And that's why Paul spoke about that, that warfare going on within him. And it, go, it goes on within every single one. And if we expect the blessings of God, we've got to remove the, the clutter out of our life and certainly the sin from our life. Let me tell you, it's not worth keeping if it keeps you from God's blessings, Hebrews 12 and verse number 1, and uh, as you know, those first three verses there are some of my very favorites, but where, as Paul's speaking about the Christian life, and uh, you know, verse 2, he tells us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, and consider Him, he says, in verse number 3, but he tells us that we are to lay aside, verse 1, lay aside every weight and the sin... That doth so easily beset us. Certainly, sin will cause us to drag our feet, and sin will cause us to lose the race and lose the battle, and go down in defeat. But it's not just a matter of sin; it's also it's also the weight. It's the weight. Can, can you imagine someone saying, "Yeah, you know, I entered the Olympics. You know, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna do the hundred yard dash or something." And they put on one of these great big heavy belts they use whenever they're diving, you know, in order to get down real deep out in the ocean. Can, can you imagine putting something like that on or, or saying, look, I, I, I'm going to run the 400. And uh, so they come out there and everybody else out there in their little tennis shoes and shorts and what have you. And here's some guy comes out there with the parka on. He's got the hood pulled up and he's got his gloves on. It's 90 degrees out. That's nothing but a weight to him. And there's so many times in our life, you know, it's not necessarily that that there is some overt sin that that we're conscious of in our life. But sinless things can become sin whenever we let them drag us down or draw us away from what God wants us to do. So God said, look, if you want water, you've got to get rid of the earth that's, that's taking up the room, the place where I want to put the blessing. Now, the amount was dependent upon their faith. Notice there are no dimensions given here. God didn't say, I want it to be 100 yards long, I want it to be you know, 60 feet wide, 6 feet deep. No, God didn't say a thing about that. It was all dependent upon their faith," he said. "Just dig, dig ditches down in the valley." So many times we put those limitations on God simply because you know we uh, uh, we just want to trust Him. Somebody could have, you know, somebody could have gone out there and said, "Well, I dug a ditch, man. It's eight foot long. It'll hold all the water I need." You know, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not the only one there. You know, there's an army here. All the all of your brethren are here. What about them? They need water. Don't stop digging. I, I, that verse over in the Psalms that says, "And they, speaking of Israel, they limited the Holy One of Israel." And that's exactly what we do so many times. There's a verse over in Second. Corinthians chapter number 9, and we probably use it every year during stewardship month. Verse number 6, Paul says, But this I say, He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall shall reap also bountifully. So as you sow, so shall you reap. That's the point. The amount was based upon their faith. And the amazement of all of this, whenever I look at it, if I'm looking at it right, if I understand it, he, he notice he, he told them, he said, you're not going to see, uh, verse 17, you're not going to see any wind, you're not going to see any rain, yet that valley shall be filled with water. God filled the ditches from the inside out. In other words, God did it in such a way that nobody but God could get the glory from it. And you know God is at work when there's no human or no natural explanation for it. God just did that, you see. And uh, whenever our main concern is for His glory, and does not the Bible say unto Him be glory in the church? Amen? Amen. And when that becomes our main concern, for everything we do, uh, we can expect God to do great things. I, I said earlier that we'll get back to this matter of worship later on, and we're there now. I talked about the music, but you'll also note that all of this happened whenever the meat offering after the meat offering had been offered up. In other words, this is an act of worship. Nothing, nothing, nothing happened until, you know, the prophet has prepared his heart with music and now, now they are observing the offering of the meat offering, an act of worship, and now the empty ditches are filled. Let me tell you, empty ditches are no better than no ditches. And so what we do, you know, they, they could have, they could have gone out there and dug those ditches, but if God hadn't have done something supernatural, they wouldn't have been any better off. You know, we as a church, we can go through all of the motions of being a church. I mean, boy, we can be dogmatic in our doctrine and emphatic in our stance, and man, we you know, we're gonna stand for the Lord, we're gonna contend for the faith, we got that bulldog tenacity, we're not gonna dare give in to modernism, blah blah blah, 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 and just sit back and not do anything for God. We're look, we're no better off than those churches out there that that have compromised in some way that are not really doing anything for God. I mean, disobedience is disobedience. That's the point I'm trying to make. We can't expect God to bless us unless we do things His way. So the ditches have to be filled. And that requires an act of obedience, but it requires faith on our part and heartfelt worship. Now let's, let's wrap all of this up in just a few comments Notice, they required water, but God gave them more than that. I want you to let that sink in. They, they were desperate. They didn't know what to do. They're in despair. There's no water. They've got to have water to survive. And God gave them water. And God could have said, well, you know, I, that's the end of my blessing for today. And he could have just stopped right there. But God gave them more than what they needed at the moment and more than they asked for in one sense. He gave them victory over the enemy. You read the rest of the chapter and you go on and you see that they defeated the, the Moabites. By the way, water is a type of God's Word, and whenever our life is barren and dry, the one thing we need, you know, it's so easy for us to, as we're going through the difficulties of life, and we grow weary well-doing and well-doing and so forth, and it's so easy for us to reach that point of spiritual exhaustion that, oh, we just feel like we can't go on. Anybody ever been there? I, I suspect you have. We all have. What do you do? I'll tell you what you do. You get in the Word, in God's Word, and you let God begin to speak to your heart. And it's absolutely amazing what happens. In 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God. Notice, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now, listen carefully to the next two verses. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How's God going to do that? Well, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That is one of the most powerful sections of Scripture I know of for Christians. It simply is telling us that God's Word is sufficient for all things. It is the means that God has appointed. It is our daily bread. It is the water when we're thirsty. It is the very thing that we need. If we're going to be conformed unto the image of Christ, we have to get into the Word of God. And, you know, that, I think... Bears the question is how much time do you spend in the Word of God? Sometimes you know people say, "Well, I I I just I can't I can't get beyond this. I can't, you know, I can't get over this." And on and on and on the list goes. And if the truth be known, most of the time people that find themselves in those situations are not really spending any great amount of time. In the Word of God. It it doesn't work any other way, folks. I'm telling you, this is a living book. It's alive. It's alive, and it makes a difference, an impact in our lives whenever we read it. Whatever you do. I mean, if we expect the blessings of God, we've got to spend quality time in the Word of God because... It is a change agent in the hands of the Holy Spirit, so to speak. He changes us from glory unto glory as into the same image as the Son of God. Thank God that He gave us something so powerful as this to get us through the difficulties of life. You need help? There it is. You've got it. Let's all stand. Father. How we thank You, Lord, for the provisions of life. Not only, Heavenly Father, do we thank You for salvation and the hope of heaven that is in our heart and for the the great transformation that You make in our life whenever we receive Christ. Lord, we thank You for those, uh, those everyday blessings. When we're involved in the ordinary, mundane task of life... That You help us during those times. And Lord, I just thank You for that. And whenever we're faced with those, those great challenges to where we know without a doubt that we're going to go down in defeat, that we can't survive, we can't win, we can't succeed. And yet, and yet because of Your grace, You step in and You take over. And You supply all of our need according to Your riches in glory. Thank You for that. God help every person here tonight to not put any limitations on what you want to do in their life, but that they might, through an act of obedience and by faith, make room for those blessings by doing the things that you say. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. While we stand in this, we